0: Well, I wanna welcome all of our campuses to the fourth week of our series entitled, Unshaken. Come on, can we just welcome all the campuses joining us right now, South Shore, Gulf Coast, online. We are so excited. We are in week four of a six week series. I'm teaching through the book of First Thessalonians. Uh, If you haven't been here the last couple weeks, every year, beginning of the school year in the fall and also in the spring, I like to do a book of the Bible. And uh, today, actually this week and next week, week four and five, I mentioned early on that I was going to be dealing with some themes uh, related to the end times because it's found in First Thessalonians chapter four and chapter five. As we look at the news today, it doesn't take a theologian, I say that respectfully, for to be able to see and to discern there's, there's a lot going on globally. There's a lot of things happening, whether weather patterns, epidemics, political unrest, things, nuclear threats, all of these things uh, that that are causing a, a sense of trepidation There's a dangerous feel in the world and questions that people have asked. Matter of fact, even asked me the last couple of months. I've gotten emails, Pastor, you know, what about uh, the return of Christ? And what about, by the way, uh, there was a teaching uh, that was going around based upon Revelation chapter 12 uh, that they really believed that there was some interpretation that that was attached to Christ coming last weekend uh, on Saturday, uh, September 23rd. And there was some reasoning behind that why some people felt and again we're here still so so that didn't happen but i will say this anytime somebody names a date anytime somebody says this is the day jesus has something to say about that matthew chapter 24 here's what jesus said but of that day and hour no one knows So so, as soon as somebody names a day and says, this is the day that Christ is coming back, you need to bring it back to Matthew 24. But of that, everybody say it, day. And of that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So only in God's wisdom does he know the day that Christ is going to return. Even though we don't know the day, I do believe that we can recognize the season. there's a difference I do believe as we look at scripture and as we look at what's called prophetically how there are things in both the Old and New Testament that that there's things in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament and there's things in the Old Testament that point to where we're living today and then vice versa in the New Testament there's things that that also unpack and the disclosure of what was going oh that makes sense I understand the lamb that was slain in the Old Testament well Jesus was the lamb and they work and they interface together in the same way scripture Thousands of years ago, I do believe speaks to things that are happening today. Let me give you just a couple of those things. Number one, there's a scripture in Matthew 24. Again, I, I do believe we cannot pinpoint the day, but I do believe we can recognize the season. All right? Look what the Bible says Matthew 24 14. But this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness. Everybody say, as a witness. As a witness. To all the nations. The Greek word for nations is the Greek word ethnos. It's the ethne, where we get ethnic. For instance, he says that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a witness to all the nations. It doesn't mean just all the countries, because you can have in a country different ethnic groups, different people groups, different languages within those people groups. And what the, Jesus said is, there'll be a witness. Doesn't mean that everyone will be reached. Doesn't mean that every single personal person hears the actual gospel account, but there's an opportunity. There's a viable witness in those people groups. And then, Jesus said this, and then the end shall come. I, I uh, did some study this week. There was a, you can Google this, the Joshua Project. Not the Joshua tree, that's you 2 that happened last month. The Joshua Project. The Joshua Project is, is an uh, interesting thing and it tracks the people groups, ethnos, the groups that have yet to have a gospel witness, a viable gospel witness uh, presenting the gospel in that people group. And there's 6,996 people groups that are still classified, and they call this from missiologists, that they're unreached. In other words, there's not a viable witness. That's 42% of the world. So, let me talk about that for a moment. Well, pastor, can Jesus come back today? I mean, he can do anything he wants. But I'm reading this scripture, I'm trying to interpret that it does suggest that, that this gospel, the kingdom, will be preached and the, there will be a witness and then the end shall come. Now, let me fast forward this a little bit. Technology is making this thing, the timeline, cut down big time. This summer I was in Bolivia on a a mission trip with uh, Compassion International and I was in one of the most far out remote places in Bolivia in this this, literally a village and, and everybody had cell phones. Literally, and I'm, I'm saying, literally, there was no, like, electricity and running water in some place, and it, the, I'm talking way out, and yet cell phones. I've been to Africa, I've been all over, Nigeria, and I'm thinking I've been out in the very much of the bush, uh, and, and this, by the way, was a number of years ago, and they had cell phones. And I began to wonder, thinking about this, technologically speaking, uh, and missiologists will tell you this, that one of the things technology, and I think there's some good and there's some disadvantages... One of the advantages is, is that the gospel can be carried to unreached people groups where heretofore has not been able to go, through a phone, through technology. So what happens, pastor, right when when the witness, when there's a witness to all the nations, well, at least this will be fulfilled. That could happen, it could happen within a decade, missiologists will say. Let me give you another one, and I want to give you what I would say is the biggest sign kind of at the top of the food chart, all right, of all the things in the Bible, both Old and New Testament pointing to what I would consider and Scripture would consider the end times, the end of times, which Christ taught about, and the end, and the end. So he talked about this, all right, I'm not making this up. I believe above all other, quote, signs and prophetic signs in the Bible The greatest sign to me that shows that we're at least entering into a season. Now, let me just say this to all the young people. uh, And I've always said this. I'm going to live like he's coming back today, but I'm going to plan like it's 100 years. Matter of fact, I got when I got saved, there was a book that was written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is coming back in 1988. How many all remember that? That was saved. Okay, so listen, whether he comes back today, tomorrow, I'm still gonna plant. I'm still gonna plant apple seeds so that we reap apple trees and apples are I'm still gonna plant that way, but I'm still gonna live ready. I want everybody to understand that. Okay, what do you believe, Pastor, is the greatest sign in the Bible that somehow indicates the imminent return of Christ? At least seasonally speaking, I believe that it is the regathering of Jewish people to the land that God promised to them uh, thousands and thousands of years ago. Now, this sticks out to me, and I'm going to show you why. I'm going to show you why I believe that. In Ezekiel chapter 36, before you bring that up, let me explain something. There have been what I would consider, according to Scripture, again, this is my interpretation of Scripture. I'm going to show you in a moment. You're going to be able to make a decision yourself. There have been two what's called two in-gatherings of Jewish people back to Israel. Now remember, Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abram, go to a land that I will show you, a land that I will give you. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. That a land, a piece of land. God promised to Jewish people a piece of land. Now, why is that important? There have been two times, specifically, historically, where Jewish people have, have been driven out of the land and there is a regathering. Everybody say regathering. A regathering. What's the first time that that happened? The first time that happened was, and I taught about it two years ago in the book of Daniel, if you remember. The children of Israel, there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was dispersed, but they've never been regathered until the second regathering. The southern kingdom, which was, which was Judah and, and Benjamin, these tribes, watch this, they were taken over by Babylon and they were brought about 800 miles away into what's called Babylon. They were exiled for how many years? You remember the book of Daniel? How many years? Wow, you missed the series. <laughs> 70. Everybody say 70. Okay, 70 years. And then, the, the, then, then, somebody, then under the Persian king, remember the Babylonians were, ta- Babylonians were taken over by the Persians? The Persian king allowed them to go back. Watch this. The first group of Jews came back to the homeland. The second group, there was actually three groups that came back. Remember Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the walls? Okay, this is the first regathering of Jewish people. This whole concept, regather. All right? The second regathering that I think is happening today as we speak is in 70 AD when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and in essence, the major population centers of Israel, Jews were scattered all throughout the world, all throughout the world. From 70 A.D. to today, it's interesting when you begin to see the repopulation of Jewish people back in the land that God promised them, Genesis chapter 12. Let me read a scripture to you real quick. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. God says this. Again, there are two regatherings. One happened in around 500 B.C. The other one is happening. All right. And I'm going to show you there's two in the Bible. I'm about to show you this. All right. Ezekiel 36, 24, for I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Let me pause there just for one moment. This is very, very important. When the Jews were regathered back to Israel after Babylonian captivity, they were not taken from the nations in every country. They were only taken from one location called Babylon. Does everybody get that? This scripture, I don't believe, is talking about what happened in 500 B.C. I believe that we're seeing it today. I've been to Israel three times, done a lot of study, I've taken seminary courses, all kind of stuff in Israel. And what's interesting, if you go to Israel today, you'll see people from all over, you'll see the nations of the world You'll see Ethiopian Jewish people that came. By the way, you ought to read about it. In 1991, 14,000 in one day, Ethiopian Jews landed on 28 flights that came into Tel Aviv. It's fascinating. All fulfillment of prophecy. Why is this important, Pastor? It's important because God says, and I'm going to show you in just a moment. Matter of fact... Isaiah chapter 11, let me show you the second, let me show you the first and the second regathering. This is prophecy. Why is this important? Because Israel had to be restored. Jewish people had to go back to the mainland or back to their homeland prior to the tribulation and prior to the end. I'm going to show you in scripture. Look what it says right here. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again. How many times say it? The, uh-oh, pastor. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. The second time to recover the remnant of his people. What was the first time? 500 B.C., 70 years, or actually about 513 B.C., 70 years after Nebuchadnezzar deported the Jews over to Babylon. That's the first time. Well, what's the second time? When did the second time start happening? Well, the second time, I'm going to show you in just a second, the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left. Look at the next verse from Assyria, Egypt, all over, and from Hamath and the islands of the sea. Do you know if you go to Israel today, you'll meet people, South Africa, whole colonies of Jewish people that are just flooding in. They were living in the Pacific. uh, I mean, it's like, where are they coming from? I'll tell you where they're coming from. They're fulfilling this prophecy. Let me show you a graph that I just wrote up yesterday. Matter of fact, I added this, so it's not in your notes. Yesterday, and I, 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 te- I text our, our tech team, and I, I have this graph. Let me show you. In 1980, and 1882, 1882, there are 24,000 Jews that were living in what's called Palestine at the time. Again, Turkey, the Ottoman Empire ruled Israel. Okay, it was called Palestine then. I don't have time to get into all of this, but this was kind of the the first surge of the the modern Zionist movement, going back to Israel. Now watch this, 1918, the British overtook Palestine. It's called the British Mandate, 30 years they rule. Look, it jumped up to 60,000. These are Jews living in Israel. 30 years later, something happened in 1948. This had to happen for prophecy to be fulfilled. Do you remember the Bible says, the Old Testament prophet said, can a nation be born in a day? How many of y'all remember that verse? The answer is yes, May 17th, 1948. Boom, the United Nation declared Israel to be a nation. It's all fulfillment of prophecy, guys. It's all in the Bible. Now watch what happens, and some of you were alive during that, some, some of y'all were alive during that, or you were, you know, as young, young children, or you we've all read about this, 1948, all right, lots of reasons why that happened, but the primary one is God said it was going to happen. A nation was born in a day. Now watch what happens. Uh, 20 years later, 2 million Jews. These are Jewish. There's other people in Israel besides Jewish people, but the primary population is Jewish today. Look at 75. Look, I went in, first time I went is 2007. There was 5.5 million Jews. All right. And about seven and a half million total people, Muslims and different people. Look at today, 2007, 6.5 million Jewish people is 8.3 total population of Israel. Six, why is this so important? Because the Bible talks about before the end shall come, Jewish people will, will be regather. I will regather these people back to Israel. Pastor, wow, I didn't even realize this. According to Scripture, I wrote this down yesterday, according to Scripture, the nation of Israel has to be restored before the tribulation can ever happen. We are seeing today the birth pangs of the end. Some pretty big things are about to happen before Jesus returns. By the way, the nation had to be regathered before the tribulation because there's a third temple that'll happen that the Antichrist, if you remember the book of Daniel that I taught two years ago, three years ago, he, he sets himself up in the temple in downtown Jerusalem and declares himself to be God. We'll talk about that next week. This all had to happen. Pastor, whoa, man, how does this affect me today? Well, it affects us because the scripture is being fulfilled. Now, how, how does this relate to 1 Thessalonians? Let's open up the 1 Thessalonians chapter four. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Let me give you the backdrop here. Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a young church, three weeks old that Paul left it. Now it's a year and a half later. He writes a letter back to them. What is the point of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Paul wanted to encourage the young believers that their deceased loved ones they would see again one day. That's the whole point. This was all about not initially end-time theology. We can see it as end-time theology. It was a pastoral book of encouragement. They were grieving. They had lost loved ones. and Some were saying, some false teaching, which, by the way, there's around it today, that when you die, you go in the grave, your soul's there, and it's never reunited to God until Christ comes back again. That's not true. Paul was trying to debunk all of that false teaching saying, listen, and then he unpacks what I'm about to read to you. So it was a a pastoral book to encourage believers about where their lost loved ones were and for them to be ready. It wasn't first about the tribulation and the Antichrist that was spoken about, but it was first a book to encourage people that were were grieving. Now, I want to show you some, because I think this will help as we read the scripture. I want to make two statements before I read the scripture. Number one, this is very important, number one statement. There are different views on the end times from very godly people. Is there a rapture? Is there not a rapture? Do Christians go through the tribulation? Do they not? And I want to just say this very closely, very carefully, all right? There are godly men and women that have different opinions about how this thing all wraps up. I do want to say this. We can have different opinions about whether or not there's a rapture. We can have different opinions about whether or not that the millennial was a literal thousand years or not, but we cannot have different opinions about this. To get saved, you have to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have to surrender your life to Christ. When you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes to live in your heart. You're forgiven. You're washed by the blood of Christ. Your name is written down in the land's book of life. Okay, those are non- that's what gets you into heaven. Does that make sense? I want everybody to understand. You can believe anything you want about the end times, but you've gotta believe that trusting your, your faith in Christ is what gets you born again. Are y'all, are y'all with me? Trusting Christ. Trust, I want everybody to understand that. So having said that, I'm gonna show you a graph that we drew up, all right, as how I see it. Again, there are other godly men and women that see it differently, and they can be wrong. So here we go, let me show you this graph. I'm joking, (laughs) okay, so this is how I see it according to scripture, all right, but there are other godly people that see it differently, all right, and so here we go, we live right now in what's called the church age, all right, when did this start, the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it's been 2,000 years, more or less, all right, What's going to happen? Next event is the rapture. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Christ comes in the clouds, doesn't come all the way to earth, and raptures his church for a literal, this is, what I, this is how I see it, all right? A literal seven-day period of what's called the tribulation. What happens to believers? They go to heaven. The judgment seat of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb, all right? There are seven years of tribulation. There's an antichrist. I'm going to talk about this next week. Paul talks about it in 2 Thessalonians. There's an antichrist, a man of peace. I taught about this for seven weeks in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Revelation two years ago, Daniel, three, three, three years ago on, on the weekend, all right, so you can get all this stuff. There's a man of peace that comes and brokers a deal. How many of you know when you have a large section of people that immediately disappear, this is all in the Bible you have a person called the Antichrist who is a political leader who has diplomacy skills that can pull people together. However, halfway through the tribulation, he walks into the temple in Jerusalem. That's why I know that they've gotta have a rebuilt temple. By the way, you can go on the internet and they've got plans for the third temple. I'm not suggesting that those are the plans. But I'm just saying, Jewish people know that there's a third temple. There's never been a third temple rebuilt. But there's got to be at some point, because the Antichrist goes into the temple and declares himself to be God. His mask comes off. Everybody knows that the world's been deceived. And the Bible says for three and a half years is the judgments of God, the wrath of God, the book of Revelation, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. All right? At the end of the tribulation, we come back with Christ, not halfway, but all the way, and it sets up, I believe... This is what I believe in a literal 1000-year millennial reign of Christ, all right? At the end of that, there's one last battle, the great white throne judgment, and then a new heaven and a new earth. We talked about that Revelation 21, John the revelator looked up and he saw a new heavens and a new and forever we 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 live on that. Okay, so let me give you this second qualification. I see according to scripture and I'll show you in a moment that the rapture And the second coming of Christ are two distinct events. They're two distinct events. Yes, in a sense, Christ comes here, but it doesn't come all the way to earth. He comes in the clouds. I'm gonna show you in a moment. So technically, when I say the second coming, I'm talking about when he comes and sets up his millennial kingdom. Does everybody see that? Great. Here we go. Three questions that I wanna answer this morning, and then we'll pick up next week. Three questions Paul answers about the end times. First, what happens to believers at the rapture? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Paul says this. Remember the context. He's writing to encourage people about deceased loved ones. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those that have died. I don't want you to be ignorant about that. All right? Lest sorrowing as others who have no hope. In other words, Christians sorrow and grieve, but we don't grieve like those without hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep that have died as Christians in Jesus. Now, when Jesus returns to the earth to receive his church, there will be Christians who have already passed away that'll be with him, all right? Let me come up back to my graph here just for a moment. So what is Paul saying here? Paul is saying that those that have preceded, those that were living during that letter, those that preceded uh, in death that were believers have gone to heaven, all right? They will come back with Christ into the clouds at the rapture. Now watch this, this is important, all right? What happens then, Pastor Steve? Why does he start talking about, why does he start talking about this whole resurrection thing? We believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. I wanna talk to you about our bodies just for a moment. The resurrection of our bodies. Why does God talk about this? Why in 1 Corinthians 15, why does Paul talk about the resurrection of the body? Why is that a big deal? Let me talk about it just for a moment. When Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. But he also died on the cross to restore all things in the proper time. Do you remember prior, prior to the fall of man, Adam and Eve lived in a garden And they were perfectly healthy spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. After they chose to disobey God, all of a sudden they're they're now spiritually disconnected from God. They're, They're emotionally fragmented in their soul. They now feel shame. But guess what also happened? They started and inaugurated a death process in their bodies. Christ makes all things new. Everybody say all things new. And one of the things that happens at what I believe is the rapture, it is ultimately showing how Christ is Lord even over our bodies. Let me give you the second question. I'm going to go to some scripture, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit. So how does the promise of Christ's return affect us today? Watch this. For if we believe, look what it says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, God will bring with him those who fall asleep in Jesus. When does this happen? At the rapture. Look at this next verse. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, those that are alive on the earth as Christians during this moment, those that are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. What happens to a believer in Jesus is this. When they die... They go to a place. They don't just go in the grave. Their soul doesn't go into a grave. They go into a place called heaven. Now listen to me closely. These Christians were concerned about that. Do you know there is a whole teaching out there called soul sleep? And soul sleep suggests that when somebody dies, that, that technically until Christ comes again and their bodies are resurrected, they're in the grave. No, let me tell you. Their body's in the grave, but their soul is with Christ. Are you all with me? Pastor, how do, you, how do I know that? Do you remember Jesus when he was dying on the cross? Do you remember when he looked, don't miss this. Do you remember when he looked over, this is important because this is one of the things that Paul was dealing with right here. Do you remember Paul or Jesus looked over at the guy that repented? There was two thieves. One was arrogant and the other one was repentant. Do you remember that? Do you remember he looked at the repentant one and he said, today, everybody say today. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. What does that mean? That man's about to die. I'm about to die. But I'm going to tell, you, bo- tell you, even though your body's going to die, your soul is going to be with me in paradise. When a belie- Paul says, when a believer dies, they go and they spend eternity with God. Now watch what happens. What about our bodies? This resurrection of our bodies. Pull my chart up, if you would, please. Okay. When Christ comes, the first things that comes, Paul talks about this in Corinthians, the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? There are bodies, when you're a Christian and you die, your body, just like everybody else's body, either goes into the grave or there's cremation. By the way, this is not a statement about creation at all. That's your choice. I I don't have any scripture. I will say that historically historically the Christian church did burials, but there's not a scripture against cremation. I know it's like 42% of all deaths now are, are people are cremating. So it doesn't matter. In the end of the day, they all end up as ashes. Go back to Genesis one, right? From dust, go back to dust. Here's the point. When Christ comes back at the rapture, what happens? The very first thing that happens is these believers that had died as, as Christians, these, these Christians that had died, they come back with Christ. Their soul, in that sense, all right, And their bodies are resurrected and reconnected. And they get a resurrected body. Simultaneous, but just a nanosecond right afterwards. Then the dead and then those that were alive will will get their As they are raptured, they in this process receive their resurrected bodies as well. Pastor Steve, is there anybody in heaven today with their resurrected body? Yes, one person. Who would be that? Jesus. Do you remember after the resurrection? He got a new body, isn't that right? And he ascended in Acts chapter one up. How many are grateful that you're gonna get a new body that doesn't decay? You don't have to count calories. Can I have a witness in God's house? I'm telling you, man, this is awesome. This is a big deal because it even sh- it's even showing that death doesn't have dominion over God's creation, that God's gonna give us a new body and that even our bodies overcome death, ultimately with- because of Christ. Does that make sense? That means you can do what you want, eat what you want. That means you can go to McDonald's in a drive-through. It's only $1.47. You can get a hot fudge sundae. Can I give a witness in God's house? <laughs> Praise God. Love those things. <laughs> Double fudge, ma'am. Extra nuts. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) This was a big deal. This was a big deal. Because those Christian people were believing that that their loved one was in the grave. And they said, well, didn't Paul talk about their bodies until their bodies are resurrected? They're in the grave. No, they're in the presence of God. Let me tell you, a blessing and a bummer about being a pastor. Let me tell you the bummer first. It is tough to do a funeral for somebody that you're not sure if they're Christians. I'm telling you, it's just tough. Because part of your, the ministry that God's called, you got, I mean, you got, we, all, we should all be honest and sincere, you know, yeah, I mean, who's ever gone to a funeral, you know, and the preacher or priest or ra- somebody gets up there, the religious person goes, you know, this guy was just a loser, <laughs> terrible person. I mean everybody's a good man. They know they help somebody at Thanksgiving one time. They, you know, and so, you know, as a pastor, you know, I'll try to find out. And I'm not able to do a lot of that anymore just because of all this. But I'll ask the family, you know, do you know that they're a Christian pastor? We're not sure which I, you know, he really or she does, you know, and so I so as a pastor, it's tough. I'm just like, so during I'll read some scripture, and basically what I'll do is I'll just I'm kind of giving you the inside deal here. I'll just, you know, Lord, we commit them to you. We know that you're a righteous judge. I'll read scripture because I can't say they're in heaven. I want everybody to know this. This is this is a radical statement. I know we have a lot of guests at this service always. Not everybody goes to heaven. Y'all with me? It's not true. People that go to heaven trusted Christ as their Savior when they were on earth. But I'm going to tell you, there's a whole difference when you do a funeral for somebody that you know is saved, hey, let me tell you, they're out in a better place. I'll tell you this, we our, our band director for many, many years, Chris Callahan, tremendous young man, I've been a really, hopefully a good influence with him, and he's been a tremendous leader here, and been like a son to me, spiritually speaking. And his wife passed away this summer from cancer. And I went to the funeral, some of you were there, and I partook in a little part of it, but. I'm going to tell you something. They started off the funeral, and this person spoke, and then this per- and I'm not those of you that were there. You know exactly. What I'm about. It's like we got lifted higher and higher. By the end, we were mad. She made it and beat us up there, Amber. You know what I'm saying? How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's like, why am I down here? You know? Come on. How many all grateful for heaven and eternity with God? Man, I am. Okay, so, and I got, I got so much to say about this, but I want everybody to understand, so our bodies, our body, the resurrection of the body happens at the rapture. First, the, re- the bodies of those that were coming with Christ are, are somehow, and they get a, a resurrected body. Secondly, those that are alive when Christ returns that are Christians get a resurrected body always to be with the Lord. Now, let me answer the third question. I got five minutes or so, because I'm, I'm going to start pulling some of this together. What's important to know about the coming of Christ at the rapture? So what's important to know? Verse 16 to 18. What's important to know? For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Every word is important in this. With a shout. And the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. I just talked about that. Their bodies. Their bodies. All right, this is all gonna start making sense. The dead in Christ will rise first. Look at the next verse, verse 17. Then we who are alive, those that are alive on the earth when Christ comes to get his church and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Is it coming together? And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay, I want you to pull the chart back up if you will. The Lord Jesus himself will come down from heaven to earth sky at the rapture. It will be a personal visit. Now, in order, Pastor Steve, why do you believe in what's called a rapture? Why do you believe this? I'm gonna tell you why I believe in it. You have to understand the concept of a Jewish wedding to understand the rapture. You have to understand this. And what I believe scripture supports. In the Jewish wedding, you have a groom and you have a bride. This is how it works. A Jewish groom, all right, would be the one that would actually prepare the house for the family to live in. Do you guys remember in John 14, it was those encouragement scriptures, and and Jesus says uh, to encourage their heart, I don't want you to be troubled. I'm going away to a place to prepare a what? A a place for you, some translations say a house. Okay, do y'all remember that? About Jesus, it's one of the funeral scriptures people read. I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again. Okay, here's the point. In the Bible, guess who is the groom all throughout the Bible? His name is who? Jesus. Guess who is always called the bride in Scripture, all throughout the Scripture? Who is it? It's the church. What happens in a Jewish wedding is, and this is characteristic, when the, when the groom developed when the groom prepared the house and the house was ready we, we kind of know this in the greater New Orleans area it's kind of like a second line when there's fun and there's a big parade what would happen is historically the, the trumpets would sound all right the sounding of the trumpet is the beginning of the processional when the groom goes to get the bride to bring her to the house are y'all with me do y'all see this so what happens, Paul says, when Christ comes at the rapture, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a what? Say it, a shout. That's the beginning of the wedding. With the voice of an archangel. Why? To go get his bride. That's, what, that's what's happening in this whole thing. And, and then, then what happens? Isn't it interesting during the tribulation, what happens in heaven for, for this time is the marriage supper of the who? The lamb. It's the groom and the church. This is so important that we understand this. Now, where does the word rapture come from, pastor? Is the word rapture in the Bible? Concept is caught up. The Greek word caught up is harpazo. Translated in Latin, harpazo. It's it's, the rapture comes from Greek to Latin to English. And that's where rapture is. Rapture is, and by the way, this is not the only, this is not the first time somebody was raptured in the Bible. Do you remember Enoch walked with God and was not? Boom, raptured. You remember Elijah? The chariots came. Boom! He was raptured. Jesus Himself was caught up on the ascent, on the, the divine ascension on the Mount of Olives. So individuals had been raptured, but this is now a collective body called His Church. Now I want to answer a couple questions before I close. I have got just a couple minutes left. All the end time. I'm going to make some just big statements. Most of the confusion related to end-time theology is related to this one point. Whether or not the church, Christ's church, goes through what's called the tribulation. There are eight views, but I'm really going to bucket them in two views. All right? The first view that that would be called the pre-tribulation... I think I put this on your notes. The pre-tribulation rapture view. Here's what this view says. All right? And this is what... I specifically lean towards. That's what I believe. Again, this doesn't mean you'll go to heaven if you, you know, get this part wrong, but you won't get free coffee at our church anymore. But anyway, so I'm joking. So, so this, is, this is important, all right? So what we believe, what I believe the scripture teaches is that at the rapture, the church is raptured out of the church before, but I say before before the Great Tribulation. How do I know there's going to be a tribulation? The book of Revelation talks about it. During the Great Tribulation, again, after the Antichrist is revealed, the book of Revelation, there, so I think the church is in heaven marrying the groom, Jesus, all right? This is what's happening up here. And there's the wrath of God being poured out on the earth. Now, let me, let me qualify something. I've been in this for 30 years, so I've heard, every question you can have steve well that's convenient for you because you, pastor, a church in the United States in a non-persecuted environment where you're not being killed daily in the square if you confess Christ as your Savior, so you have a convenient Western view of end-time theology where you now believe that we are exempt from going through the Great Tribulation. Because pastor, after all, there's people in the Middle East or there's people in Darfur in different places. If you mention that you're a Christian, you'll be killed. So how can you say to those people they're not going to go through the tribulation when they're actually still going through the tribulation? No they're not going through the tribulation. They're experiencing the judgment of man. The judgment of man is different than the wrath of God. The judgment of man is when you're being persecuted for your faith, the wrath of God. Let me give you an example. The first Christian martyr, his name was Stephen. He was stoned by Jews, all right? The second Christian martyr was James. The Bible says specifically that Satan stirred up the church, the stayed up, stirred up the leaders to come against and to kill. So that's not the... James was killed second. By the way, my mom named me Stephen James. I've been in counseling for 30 years over that. But anyway, so she goes, you're going to die. No, So, so here's the point I'm playing. Listen to me, this is important. That's the judgment of man. That's not the wrath of God. The judgment man is strategic and specific. The wrath of God. This is all, this is a big, big deal. So I don't believe the church goes through that. So the other view, godly people, good men and women, that would take, the other big view would be what's called, so this is, everybody say pre-tribulation. This is pre-tribulation rapture view that the church is raptured out before this. The other major view, all right, and there's some variations of it, is post-tribulation that believes, here's what happened. There's only one return of Christ, he returns. This is what they believe. The church is raptured up, meets Christ in the air, and then they immediately come down. That's, that's what that view believes. And, 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 and so, and that we go through this. There's a whole set of reasons why I don't agree with that. Let me give you one. And that is this, what I said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God did not appoint his children to what? Wrath but to obtain salvation. I don't believe we go through the wrath. I don't believe that we experience the wrath of God at that level. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Okay, there's lots of views. I hope this helps you guys. What's the point here? The point that Paul was trying to tell the Thessalonican church is this. 1 Thessalonians 5:18. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It fortified their faith. Fortified them in their loss and in their grief. Listen to me closely. I don't want anybody to miss this secondary impulse of this is end time theology primary influence of this book is to encourage christians that we don't grieve like the world by the way you know grieving is a normal emotional process and it's a, it's an emotional and psychological processing of loss that's what grief is but for the believer in jesus there's a limit to our grief because we don't grieve forever for those that are lost or those that have died we're going to see them again for the believer Whatever we lose, we know that in Christ, our life, uh, listen, in Christ, we can experience the joy of God. In Christ, we will be reunited with loved ones that are believers that come back. That for the believer in Jesus, regardless of what happens around us, we can be filled with faith and peace and the joy of Christ. We don't grieve like the lost. We don't grieve like the world. We look up. Everybody say, we look up. We don't look within, that's the new age movement. We don't look down, that's self-deprecation. We look up, because we know that our Redeemer lives, and He's coming back for His people one day. I'm going all excited about that. That's God's Word. Matter of fact, I want you to stand.